vacation time. My first job, I didn't negotiate that part. I didn't think about it. I was so excited I got a presidency. But then I came down to, um, I think it was Christmas break, holiday break. And dear God, I didn't have enough time to take off for the holiday break. I was sitting in my office the week Christmas. Think about those things. Everybody talks about work-life balance and all of that. Vacation time is key. Executive coaching, that is so important. And you need more than one executive coach because you need one that's going to help you with the academic stuff and all of that. But in this day and time where we're looking at a different version of the presidency, where funding from county, local, regional, state levels are diminishing, colleges have to be much more entrepreneurial than we were in the past. So you need a coach that's going to help you think. Welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is a podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders that will help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. Each week, I partner with a journalist to have a conversation with a sitting college president, chancellor, system leader, or someone in the broader ecosystem who's really an inspiring leader. And the goal is to have a conversation to distill their perspective and their insights gathered from their leadership journey. Our hope is that this is inspiring and gives you something to look forward to each week. This episode, my co-host is Inside Higher Ed co-founder and CEO, Doug Lederman. Uh, We're going to welcome back to Weekly Wisdom, uh, President Daria Willis, who's uh, currently president of Howard Community College. Uh, She was president before that at Everett Community College, and she was on the show when she was uh, when she was there. Um, Welcome back, President Willis. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here outside of the pandemic. (laughs) So we we first met you and you were I mean, you were doing all the really hard work up there in Everett, Washington. Mm-hmm. And now you are in a very different part of the world. You're also on your second presidency. That's where I'd love to position the conversation because I think it's really interesting the advice that you would give yourself or have given yourself that you've benefited from, you know, as you've moved through and into this new second presidency. So let's just let's just start there in terms of like where you are now and wh- how you think about the second presidency because of your first. Yeah, I'm at uh, Howard Community College now in Columbia, Maryland, an institution with a little over 23,000 students. I'm terrible at um, math and geography and stuff. So we're somewhere between like Baltimore and D.C., nestled in a cute little community that thinks very highly of themselves, which I should. Um, but it's a it's a wonderful place to be. Uh, so the college has been here for 52 years and just really excited about being here for the last 16 months. But now that I'm in my second presidency, the biggest advice I think I'd give to myself and the, the things that I think about often is trust no one when you come in the door. And I say that because you get so excited. Yes, I'm the president. And you think that everybody is happy to see you there. They really are not. Um, especially what I call the root guards, folks that have been rooted in the institution for decades or years, or it could even a root guard could even be someone who's been here four to five years, but is just caught up in whatever they've been doing for however long of a period of time. So you are the oddball. You're coming in, you're the outsider coming in. And typically 
what I found is the ones who hit you up first with that welcome card or the welcome email to say, let's go to lunch or here's some little tidbits for your kids when you move into the town or this is where you should go eat and do the things. I don't know. Just be careful of them. I have just learned in my experience that they are the ones who cycle back three to six months down the road. And there's an issue that uh, you need to take care of because of whatever relationship you started with them in the beginning. I think that's super interesting advice. I want, so I'd love to go into that in terms of, I do feel like a lot of presidents kind of, when we talk about this, we get a lot of platitudes. So I love that you're being so honest about it because it's true because yeah. a lot of people could get a promotion because of you. A lot of people could get something they want because of you. Like too often presidents on their day to day, what I observe is that they primarily interact with people who work for them or who want something from them. And that's mm -hmm. it. You don't talk to a lot of other folks. So you do, being guarded is... I think a smart move. It's not a sign that you, that the, the people are bad. It's more, you would want someone to be guarded in that moment. Yeah. And I've made that mistake before where I have been, I trusted a little too much coming in the door. I've given something or because this is what they told me. And then after I've done it, maybe six months down the road, you have a much clearer picture of what the real uh, story is. So I'm not saying this to say I've never done it before, but I have made my mistakes. I've gotten my, gotten my cuts and bruises from that. So just be guarded, protect your, you know, your, your inner peace and all of that, but don't trust people when you first walk in because folks have, everybody wants something. Um, and you need to figure out where you fit into that and where the institution fits and what's best for students in that process. If that's the starting point, what happens next? How do you go about determining? And again, it, it sounds like you're not saying you think that everybody's out to get you or, or anything like that, but how do you go about figuring out who to trust and who to take counsel from? And how long does that take uh, typically? I mean, you, you're only on number two, so I don't know, you know if you have a, seen patterns yet, but what's the sort of process that unfolds from there? So I wish I could see an average of a time period. Uh, and it's a really good question, but what I've done is I've just taken myself out of it and I listen. Because what I found is when you listen to all of these varying reviews and views of people and views of systems and uh, departments or what's happened in the past. And a lot of people like to tell you in the past, in the past, or they'll say, oh, the past president got on my nerves because blah, blah, blah. But you can't fall into that trap because one day you're going to be the past president that somebody else is going to talk about. So you got to be very careful as you get that information. But for me, it's just been a process of listening and picking up themes. And when you start hearing the same themes from groups that are literally all across the campus and the community, then you begin to see, okay, this might be the clearer picture than what I was originally told. Then you start having, you know, little birdies come and just slide, like literally, y'all, I had somebody slide a packet of information <laughs> under my, my office door. Like, you, you know, just wait, be patient. Don't be so quick to come to judgment or to make a friend on campus that you want to quote unquote trust. So I think in my first presidency, I would honestly say I kind of moved a little too quickly with that. This time around, I took the foot off the gas and I sat back and I did a good six month tour, listening to folks, writing things down at night. I would keep a journal of this is what I'm hearing and then 
in like my fourth or fifth month, I started to just read it out loud and replay some of those themes. And then honestly, I brought in somebody that I trust from a previous institution with me here because I needed somebody else to tell me, are you hearing these same things? And what are you getting from this person? Cause they'll act one way with you and then present themselves a different way to other people. So I brought a trusted colleague uh, to come and just really help me look at things in a different way. And people don't like that when you do it either. <laughs> I think this is a really interesting conversation. This was a point uh, Doug was making a note about, about who to bring in. Again, you do have to be guarded. You're right. And I think that, that you should know that everyone has an agenda and it's for the best for the institution that you be that guarded because you don't want to be like a, a football that just gets tossed around. The, the piece that struck me is this idea of disparaging your predecessor, because I do see that where it's not so overt, but I do think that there is a, a very clear expectation they are going to immediately distinguish themselves from their predecessor. Mm -hmm. And that in itself, if we weren't thinking about the presidency, if we were just thinking about the long-term effects of, on these institutions and the whipsaw of that, where we had a strategic plan and now we have a new president and now we're doing that. And, and that is one of the things I observe consistently is that that, cons that turnover, especially if it's every five years, then the institution is kind of on a hamster wheel of not making any progress. And yet, even the most noble leader coming in who doesn't want to participate in that, they are asked how they are different. They are. I feel like the institution kind of forces you into that position of, well, they were this way and I'm this way and I'm not saying anything negative, but you know, we're going to be doing things different. Again, I just think about the head pivot constantly and what that effect is. And can I actually just add one thing? I mean, if you're a rank and file faculty or staff member, how do you establish sort of continuity of confidence in the institution, which Remember, that's ultimately what we're talking about here is, you know, again, careerism is important and, and what happens to any individual leader is important. But, you know, it ultimately needs to be about the sort of long term arc of the institution. And, and I do fear that sometimes boards contribute to this in the hiring process by saying, we need somebody to do X, you know, and the, and the suggestion is, oh, partly because our previous leader didn't. I don't know. I'm just curious. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. So for that's you interesting that you say that, Doug, because boards say it all the time. And even in my previous institution, they'll say, we need a leader that'll take us to the next level. And then after you're hired and you sit down with them and you say, so what does next level, next level mean? They can't tell you what next level means. And then when you start to see, okay, this is what I'm hearing. And you go back to your board and you say, so here are the things that I'm finding. You know what? They sit there with their mouths wide open because they had no idea that this is the stuff that's going on. And so, you know, when I like, especially with this position, um, I've been very careful not to do that. So like the things that we are embarking upon are challenges and issues and opportunities that the college said that they wanted to do prior to my arrival. So when I start saying, all right, we're going to get this done and people, you know, try to slightly push back, I remind them, no, you said you wanted to do this X amount of years ago. Here's when you said it. I'm just giving you the space to make that happen instead of coming in and saying, we're just going to completely flip this institution around and decide to go this way. Cause you're right. The 10 years are short. And even when, 10 years are longer, and I've followed two successful presidents who have been there for a while. There's a certain point to where 
everybody kind of takes their foot off the gas sometimes. Um, and we begin to coast a little bit. So I think it's a double-edged sword, if I may, you know, if I may add to that. Uh, but that's why, like, for example, we were facing a reorganization when I was hired. But before I was hired, I said, so somebody make a decision about this reorg before I come in. Because if you make the decision when I come in, then I have no other choice but to push it through because that's what the college decided. But they didn't do that. So they had a reorganization committee. They had a wonderful document that they produced. I listened to people for five or six months. I read the document. I had this all campus meeting where I announced what my decision was and what I did when I announced the decision. I referenced each page in the document where they said that this is what we wanted to see. So I'm not doing anything radically different than what you all had already set up, set yourselves up to do. I'm just the vehicle. I'm like the conductor. I'm helping you push it through to make it happen. I am Ray Maliazzi, co-host of NPR's Car Talk. If you're working to solve the biggest challenges in higher education, you've come to the right podcast. And if you're looking for a student retention platform proven to get results, check out Mainstay.com. I may be biased because the CEO of Mainstay just happens to be my son. So instead of taking my word for it, you can trust the research they've done with Georgia State, Brown, and Yale as proof that Mainstay improves enrollment, retention, and well-being. Visit mainstay.com slash research to learn more. I think this is a really interesting kind of deeper theme for us to cover on this. And I love that because it's your second show that we can go here. But I know of two institutions, I possibly know of a third, where you have had a long-serving beloved president. And they are followed by the first, in one case, it's a first person of color, first woman. Only after a few months on the job do you realize that that long-serving president hadn't been making hard decisions for a while. I can't even judge that because honestly, I've never been in a position for as long as these folks have served. And I understand that you do take your foot off the gas and you do have to choose your battles about when you're really going to be uh, mounting an offensive versus when you're going to be kind of guiding on a flat path. But the me that means that you have left the first woman, the first person of color in both cases to get rid of a lot of people and to make a lot of really hard choices that are going to make them far more vulnerable. And that we frequently do this where Especially I have noticed with when there's a first time president, there's such accumulated buildup that you set them up for failure. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering about picking and choosing your battles in that first year about how you don't just take on everything at once so that you immediately put a bunch of targets on your back. How do you decide which things that are going to be hard, but essential? Do you consider like spacing them out perhaps because so that you don't just take it all in the first six months or the first year? Like, is there even that much strategy to it? God, I wish, Bridget. I mean, so first, let me just say thank you for recognizing that because it's a conversation that I literally just had with a friend to say, we're in 2023 and we're getting all these firsts. And I wonder how long these firsts are going to last because presidents today, especially if you're a president of color, you are evaluated, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, there's no research behind it, completely differently than presidents of the past who didn't look like me, who were evaluated on how many pretty buildings we can put on a campus. So thank you for recognizing that piece. I think from a standpoint of like, how do you do it? It depends on the situations that you have facing you. So if to me, if it's a situation where the college is essentially going to be put at risk, then that's something that you need to go on the battlefield for. If it's a situation where there, there's people on your leadership team that's just annoying 
and you just don't want to look at them or, you know, and they've been long serving. Okay, you can wait on that. You just need to go take a chill pill and figure out how you can make that happen. Right. And, and, and wait them out. Um, and sometimes you can use it to your benefit because uh, some people want to see you tell them to go so that you can get big severance packages and then they can go in the community and say all this stuff. And then, but when you, the president sit back and say, actually, I, you know what, take all the time you need, the college will be here, la, 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 la. The change, it changes the entire dynamic of the relationship. But at Everett, or excuse me, at my last institution at Everett, the challenge there was a pandemic came on top of everything else. So I was only there for eight months until you had this global pandemic and I'm dealing with some things we needed to change. And then I've got the pandemic on top of that. So I think to a certain extent, you I took on much more than I would have anticipated just due to other issues out of my control. I think here I have been able to strategically say, here are the things that we need to do. But before I do it, I go back to my board and I said, so what's your temperature on these things? Because here's where I think we need to hit first. And we're going to have to hit this hard and we're going to have to drive it through until the end. But here's some other things that we can kind of wait on. They're problems, but we can, you know, it's not going to kill us if we don't deal with it today. So I think that's important because when the survey results come out and they're a little bit lower, which I can attest to that, the last five years, the campus loved the president and everything else. And then this year, they're like, uh-uh, I don't know about it. I mean, your, your, your results dip a little bit. Then you can explain it and your board is behind you because you've prepped them and you showed them, here are the things we need to deal with now. And they remember these were the hard decisions that needed to be made. But if you don't have that relationship, um, it makes it harder for presidents of color to survive in those instances. And then I'll also add that for me, I have made it a point to be very active in my community my first year. I've tried to be everywhere, be seen everywhere, take pictures, eat all the chicken dinners, kiss all the babies, go to all the things so that I can build a community and support system out there while I'm building and fixing in here. So when things get just a little bit mm, in here, I still got a support system on the outside that understands, you know, the direction that you're trying to go. I know that's a long way around. I'm sorry to be so talkative, but no, it's it's really interesting. I'll I'll pause for Doug, but I did want to add that um, one of the other phenomenon that is I don't need the scientific evidence to point to it. I've seen it so many times. It's like a, it's a trope, which is institutions that have only been led by one type of leader for the length of their existence, and finally mm -hmm. they're running into the ground, and that's when the board finally has the courage to choose a woman or a person of color as the leader. And I'm, like there are so many public examples of this where it's only when it's like on the cusp of exigency or something that they're now going to shift and owning you're setting that person up for failure and it's uh, one of the easy ways that they then go back to that same type of leader so it's a thing that i've seen so many times i'm not alone in, in noticing that pattern mm -hmm. well, I, I did a story about a year ago that it was focused on presidents of color who had been hired in the 18 months before and the 18 months after george floyd was killed and it just it used those that 36 month period and divided it up in a very artificial way and it showed a, a not insignificant increase in the afterwards in the proportion of people of color who'd been hired and talked to a bunch of smart people around it who thought it was interesting and potentially a good sign. But it all came down to that question of will the boards 
stick with them? Uh, will they give them the support they need? And I used in the story, uh, Eddie Cole from UCLA, who I was one of the people I talked to, we, we came up with this analogy separately, but both came to it. it. It's how it used to be with sports teams, that the only time a an NFL team would hire a black coach was after they'd gone to an 14 or whatever. And it's that mm-hmm. it's that what you're talking about, Bridget. And I, I do think that we think it's too early to tell whether this this increase takes hold, but I think the phenomenon that you describe is certainly true. I do think the the expectations of presidents are changing for all kinds of presidents. I think that building buildings is not going to be the mark of a successful president anymore so i think it's bad luck that this is when this is the period when we're we seem to see more women and people of color being hired but it's a brutal job to me so much of it comes back to are the boards transparent about the institution's problems in the hiring process i I think you're smart to go almost step by step and get reaffirmation of what the board wants you to do, mm-hmm. uh, maybe get it in writing. I think we the phenomenon of seeing presidents kind of hung out to dry for doing what seems to be what they were hired to do okay, is well, really I, troubling. Yeah. yeah. I hate to say it, but I do. I go back to my board all the time. All right. So this is what we found. Okay. Before we do this, let me know. I mean, and I'm not asking for their permission and, and not, not in any sense, but this is what you hired me to do. So y'all got to have my back on this. Give me a heads up because your board members are in the community. And so people are going to hit them up in many different spaces where you aren't located. So it's just, you know, and I, and I often think when you get ready to hire the first and how much celebration comes after that, you see all the articles and yay, yay, yay about it. But the question becomes, is the community ready? Is the board ready? Is the college ready? And are you going to hold that president to the same standards that you held your predecessors? Like, don't continue to move the goalposts further and further back and then point the finger at them when or if they don't meet whatever these standards are that you put out there that you all didn't have a clear understanding on when you came into the position and the roles together. And I think that's a part that I've really seen just in my, look, quote unquote, short time as a president in two separate institutions. So I do think that that's an important point for our listeners. If the board is willing to bring on someone who is different than the prior, then the real question for the board, and I think that perhaps AGB has some process to support this, is how are we going to support them differently? And how are we going to show up differently? Because if they are different and in any way, and that means, you know, um, maybe they're, they do or do not have a partner. Maybe they uh, have young children. There are all kinds of versions of different that make the presidency more difficult. And every time there is someone coming in who is in some way, not the exact typecast of the predecessor, the board should shift its behavior and how it supports and how it engages in and have a process to actually identify what is most useful. So I, I wanted to go to support because I wanted to be hopeful. <laughs> so given all of these, this complexity, and I think this is a really important frank conversation that, that I'm delighted to have because I have this often with people, you know, without a microphone. And I just want to know what support for you as you're in your second presidency, as you are you know, in this new place, what kinds of things are actually helpful? And as you're talking, I want to especially be thinking about people who are thinking about becoming a president so that they could ask for these things in their negotiation, like, you know, executive coaching, or maybe it's certain things like not having to live on campus or whatever. But I just want to know what support looks like when we're talking about all of these challenges. Vacation time. 
my first job, I didn't negotiate that part. I didn't think about it. I was so excited I got a presidency. But then I came down to, um, I think it was Christmas break, holiday break. And dear God, I didn't have enough time to take off for the holiday break. I was sitting in my office the week Christmas. And when I went back to the board, I was like, hey, oh, we, I mean, so like, think about those things. Everybody talks about work-life balance and all of that. Vacation time is key. Executive coaching, that is so important. And you need more than one executive coach because you need one that's going to help you with the academic stuff and all of that. But in this day and time where we're looking at a different version of the presidency, where funding from county, local, regional, state levels are diminishing, colleges have to be much more entrepreneurial than we were in the past. So you need a coach that's going to help you think like me, I've got three degrees in history. I didn't have to take one business class, you know, going through college. So I need a coach that's going to help me think from a business entrepreneurial mindset about these, here are the things that you need to be focused on to grow your revenue and all of that type of stuff. I mean, you have your CFO and your business officers, but you need a true out of the box thinker to support you with that. The face of boards needs to change. Many of our trustees are older, uh, much more established, and come from backgrounds that people of color don't. So when we come into our positions, a lot of times, I didn't eat out of a silver spoon growing up. I didn't have all the retirement accounts and all these things and da 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 So I'm looking for people that, and I think what we need to see is more trustees that have lived experiences so that when it comes to the levels of support that new presidents require and different presidents require, you have someone on your board that understands what your lived experience is and can help articulate that to the rest of the trustees that are there. Um, and finally, I'll give a shout out, you know, to like my last board chair at Everett. During the pandemic, she was completely amazing. She became our like, you know how people built the little safety pods. So we went to dinner, we as in me, my husband and my three kids, she let us come to her house and she cooked Sunday dinner every other Sunday. And that was our time where the kids and everybody's playing, doing their thing. She and I would sit and we eat her fried chicken and peach cobbler, whatever she cooked. She had a little down south home cooking thing. And we talk about the issues. And I was a new president. I needed somebody I could trust because I couldn't trust anybody internally to go through these things. And she was uh, or still is a powerhouse, had spent 40 years in the school district, had a lived experience of being the first black principal in that district. So when I would go and be upset about what I experienced as a black woman in that part of the world, she listened to me for a few seconds and then she said, okay, get over it. This is how we're gonna move through, right? So I got off my soapbox and I was able to move forward, but I was able to build that type of relationship with her. And that really helped me help move the college through that scope of the pandemic. So, and then I'll also say lastly, the board needs to give you space to figure out who you are going to be as a leader at this college because you can be a leader one way at an institution in the Pacific Northwest, for example, 
But then when you go all the way across the country to the East Coast, that looks very different because you're in a completely different community. So now I'm in a community that was a planned community by Jim Rouse, and it's supposed to be about equity and all these other things, but it's the third most affluent community in the nation. So there are very different conversations that we have here that I didn't have when I was in Texas, that I didn't have when I was in New York or Washington State. So the board needs to allow you to have that space to do that versus coming to you and saying, here are all the things that you need to do on day one. So I got to give my board props here um, at Howard because my first year we agreed, like we're not going to really give you any true goals besides, you know, keeping the strategic plan and all that moving, but see the lay of the land, see how you want to do things, bring us back the issues, and then let's talk through how we're going to do, how, how we're going to hold you accountable to what we've hired you to do at the institution. Does that make sense? Yes. And this <laughs> like is, I just keep talking. I'm sorry if yeah, I'm- This is so good. This is like, I think this is gonna be my favorite episode we've done. Like, it's just so rich and full of great advice. Like I normally would ask you about the advice you find yourself giving, but I'm like, this has just been fantastic advice throughout. And especially uh, for new presidents, we need to definitely recommend this because we're actually dealing with some of the bigger issues. So I guess my last question would be if there is a book that has been helpful or a couple books that have been helpful for you as a leader. I love your thinking about executive coaching. I also usually think of it as to train, you need to cycle them because mm -hmm. you, like you, you've gone through growth with that person and now you're ready to be challenged with different skills. But I love mm -hmm. this idea of different at the same time. But um, I'm wondering if there's any books that you are like your touchstones for leadership that have helped you. So I'll say one book and then one experience that I've had that has just been phenomenal for me. The book that I can remember and two, this is bad. I haven't read a lot of books. I'm just going to be honest. I mean, I read a lot of emails and text messages. By the time I get home at night, like I envy the presidents that can sit and read a book and write them. Like, where, who are you? Like, can I do that? So they, they don't, just, you know, I know they're skimmers. They don't admit it, but they're skimmers. Right. So this book is from grad school that I actually reread before I got into my first presidency, but it's shifting uh, the Double Lives of Black Women in America by um, Sharice Jones and Kimia Shore Gooden. And it just talks about this, uh, the intersection between race, class and gender for black women and how they have to live these double lives inside the home and outside. And just a thought piece, in my opinion, on how you don't have to do that. So I have worked really hard because of that book to just be my authentic self. Like I, I don't have the energy to be one person at home and then somebody else on campus. Uh, so I have learned that who you see, what you see is what you get. I'm gonna keep it 100. And I know how to act when I get in front of state legislators and all of that stuff, but I'm still Dr. Willis, I'm Daria. It, it is what it is. So that, that was a really influential book. And then for me, um, an experience that I had uh, right before I became president at Howard, I was um, selected as an Aspen Ascend Fellow, the 2021 class. And when I say that was, is the most influential experience that I've had. So my advice is, and here's why, sorry. The reason why is because it gave us the space to be leaders, to think. Just think about your days as presidents. It's back to back. You're traveling. You're doing this. You're doing that. When do you really have the space to sit back in like the woods and stuff? You know where Aspen is and that kind of interesting compound place, whatever. But the, it, where it's quiet, 
and you can practice the Socratic method, you can read and you can discuss with different people who are outside of higher ed, um, who are in different industries in the world or in the country, that y'all are all going for the same goal. You're trying to help children and families across the country, but you're doing it in very different ways and you can take pieces of that back to your institution. So I just love that 18 month experience of being able to take a step back away from my college, thankful to my board that they supported me in that. And it was actually, when I was going through the search process, I said to them, if you can't accept me doing this, then you may as well not hire me. I'll just stay here where I am. So they did accept it. But find your, not a leadership development academy, because if you become a president, then okay, you can do it. But find that space to where you can think about what you're doing before you do it, where you can reflect where you can challenge each other and people outside of higher ed to learn and grow and then bring that back in your leadership journey at the college. I love it. This is perfect. I This has been a, a perfect episode. I just think you've given so much insight and perspective and wisdom. And I think people are, are the better for it. I know I am. And um, love the shout out to Aspen. I Everything they do they is just is so uh, world-class. Josh's team, like I, every time I interact with them, I'm like they're doing just such incredible work and how they build out like pedagogy and everything. It's just like... Mm. 100 out of 10. So that's a fantastic plug. And that's our new sponsor, I guess. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, thank you again, President Willis. This has been a real delight. And if there's ever a time when you want to come back, we'd love to have you back on the show. So good luck to you all and to the, you at home. I hope this has been as inspiring to you all as it has been for us. So we will see you next time. 